This is Issues 2022. I'm Steve McIntosh, and our guest is former Kansas Congressman and U.S. Secretary uh, of Agriculture, Dan Glickman. Welcome to Issues 2022. Nice to have you with us. Hey, great, Steve. It's great to talk to you again after all these years. Yes. I wanted to add a little bit to your resume. Six years as chairman of the Motion Picture Association of America. That's one other thing you've done. You've held some interesting jobs, and you've done some important work. When you were a boy growing up in East Wichita, what did you dream of doing for a living when you grew up? You know, I don't know. My parents were always pretty encouraging and open to us, and my dad and mother both said, uh, you know, they didn't put any restrictions on us, and, you know, you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer, and my dad was in the scrap iron business and owned the local baseball team, the Wichita Arrows, that you may remember, and, and you know, the only thing is he, he suggested that we not try to be a professional athlete because... He knew that was we weren't physiologically created for that. So it was pretty open, but I was always interested in politics, always. Even as a kid, I was president of the sixth grade at Fabrique Elementary School and election commissioner at Southeast High School, and then, and then just always, always liked politics. Did you ever happen to run into Robert Gates, who would serve as Secretary of Defense? You guys were from the, almost the same neighborhood, I think. Well, I ran into him afterwards, but you may recall his brother, Jim, was principal at Southeast. Uh, and Jim also worked for the Wichita school. Jim Gates worked for the Wichita school system while I was on the school board. So, and then I knew Bob Gates afterwards, after I was in Washington, I did, he was at East high and I think he was a year or two ahead of me. How about that? Hey, your book is titled laughing at myself, my education in Congress on the farm and at the movies. Uh, what motivated you to write this book? Did you just have nothing else to do or what? Well, you know, I think I've always, I've, I have, I like to say people, I've held a lot of jobs. It's been hard for me to keep a job. So I decided to write this book about all these, all these opportunities that I've had in life, uh, starting in Kansas, actually starting in the Wichita School Board and on to Congress and on beyond that. And I decided, you know, that it wasn't, I didn't mean this to be a, a holy treatise on, on, you know, how to succeed in life, but it was pretty much what were the skills that I learned growing up that had a lot to do with me being successful? And, and the primary skill, I think, which came from my parents was having a good self-deprecating sense of humor. And I found that that was, uh, among other things, one of the keys to my successes. So I decided to write about it. Well, I, I'd always heard that your father was a man with a strong sense of humor. Is that true? Very, very strong sense of humor. A lot of it would be politically correct and incorrect in today's world, but he also was uh, very funny, and um, in fact, when he died, we found in his office yellow pads, dozens of yellow pads filled with jokes that he had written down over the years. There, there had to be over a thousand jokes, and some of these came from just watching TV. Some of them came from joke services that he uh, subscribed to. Some of these just came from life, and um, he was just a man of great humor, and my mother was too although hers was more of a natural sense of humor. I mean, my dad was a little bit of the uh, Rodney Dangerfield one-liners, take my wife, please, that kind of thing. Yes. So you grew up in Wichita. You attended law school, as I understand, in Michigan. And so I, went to, no, I went to college in Michigan, attended law school in Washington, D.C., George a, Washington University. There, I stand corrected. There is a difference there. So, so uh, how do you wind up in Michigan? That seems kind of, kind of odd. <laughs> well, my brother went to Michigan. He was older than me, and he stayed one year, and then he transferred out to the University of Colorado. And, you know, I guess as a younger brother, I wanted to prove that I could, I could stand it for four years. So I applied there and, and, um, and then I applied to a lot, I applied to in-state schools and I decided I'd go to Michigan. I wanted to go to a big, big 10 school with, you know, had 
big football and basketball and all that kind of stuff. So that's how I kind of picked it. Your uh, first political office, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, was what? Wichita Board of Education? Yeah, Wichita School Board. I was elected in 1973. So I was, let's say I was 28 when I was elected to the school board. So then how did that transform to get to the end of the, uh, the next step? Uh, well, you know, the Wichita School System had about 50,000 students. So it was roughly about 75% of the uh, congressional district. Uh, I mean, uh, the district has changed a lot, that fourth district, which is dominated by Wichita and to a certain extent, uh, Reno County and Harvey County. But it was, Wichita was the dominant factor. And, and so I, you know, frankly, I tried to do a good job and got a lot of attention and publicity in, in that job. And then I ran for Congress in 1976 in the post-Watergate year. I thought there was an opportunity for a Democrat to win that election. And, you know, I just took a chance. And most people said, you don't have a chance. You shouldn't run. You can't defeat that guy. The incumbent was a man named Garner Schreiber, a long-term incumbent. Nice guy, actually. Uh, Be a very moderate Republican in today's standards. But I decided to take him on. And, you know, when you're young, sometimes you don't know any better. You take a risk that you wouldn't do when you get older and you have too much information. Well, a, a Democrat winning in Sedgwick County, some of us can remember when Democrats did pretty well in Sedgwick County for time to time. Yeah, actually, um, even in the 70s, Democrats did pretty well in the state of Kansas. We had elected Democratic governors, Governors Docking and Carlin and uh, and Finney and and, uh, and then state legislators. And, and so the, the state has become much more Republican since, you know, I left office. And um, I, I, it'd probably be very difficult for me to win an election in, in Kansas right now as a Democrat. For many years, Wichita BOE meetings were without much controversy, but recently we, we've had a little bit of controversy over masking and so forth. And I've seen this in the school board meetings across the country, aren't we? Yeah, you know, school board has become a, a somewhat dangerous profession to be in. The activism that takes uh, place in school board settings is much more vigorous and in some cases vicious than it was when I was there. And we had some controversial subjects we dealt with school busing and desegregation, but, 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 you know, we were a collaborative group in the Wichita school board. And, um, um, and it's just, it's just a different world now. It's not just in Wichita, it's everywhere in politics where the, the, there's a lot more bitterness and the atmosphere is a lot more toxic than it used to be. Well, that was one of my next questions. Uh, well, first of all, I wanted to ask you when you got to Washington, uh, who were your mentors? Who were the people that took you under under their wings or or helped you out well you know i was i was i always viewed bob dole as a mentor uh he and i were not on the same side of the aisle and at times we um we sparred with each other but uh, by and large i thought he was a great leader and a great political thinker and and a good good senator and good congressman so you know he certainly took me under his wing to at least with respect to collaborating on issues that where we could work together on and uh, you know by very nature i think it may be had to do with my personality or my folks or everything else i i was not a kind of person that looked for conflict i was a kind of person that looked for solutions and so i made allies across the aisle both on the democratic and republican sides well and that's uh, kind of interesting because up until just a few years ago i think that was Kind of the norm. Uh, the people on the opposite sides, you know, went out to dinner together and, and hobnobbed and, and, and socialized. But it doesn't seem like, from what I've heard, that much of that goes on anymore across the aisle. You know, you know, um, some of it goes on, Steve, but but it is a lot more tribal today. If you're a Democrat or if you're a Republican, you tend to go into your respective corners 
and like in a boxing match. And there is there is not as much collaboration, and uh, there's a lot more personal or ad hominem uh, conduct that takes place in political offices, whether it's in Congress or in the state legislature or in the White House. And that's unfortunate because the real losers in that are the people that look for politics as a place to get things done. This might be a, a good place for me to ask my question about uh, what we call uh, civility and how we treat uh, other people. It's not just in politics, for crying out loud. It might might be the politics is reflective of all of society. We just can't seem to be nice to each other anymore. Yeah, well, um, you know, the truth is you're right. Um, it is uh, uh, the atmosphere in the country is a lot more toxic than it used to be. The divisions are, are a lot greater between rural and urban interests and and between people of different ethnic groups. And um, it, it looks and that may be caused by the nature of our media today, which is a lot more divisive than it used to be. After all, when I, in the 1970s, when I started in this business, we had three or four television stations, some radio stations and the local newspaper. And, and that was basically it. And today, local newspapers, even the Wichita Eagle, are no longer the dominant force that they once were. And you have hundreds and hundreds of social media outlets today. Each one is pushing its own agenda. So that certainly helped to divide us as a country. Uh, let's. Uh, would you please tell us a little bit about serving as Agriculture Secretary? You would, from your resume up until that point, I, I wouldn't guess that you'd, be, you'd even want to be Agriculture Secretary. Well, actually, it was pro- – I mean, I loved being a congressman because you could really deal with problems that the people had back at home. But being Agriculture Secretary, look, I had 100,000 people that worked for me. It was a gigantic operation with offices in virtually every county in America with amazing wide jurisdiction from farm programs to food safety to to hunger, anti-hunger programs to the largest part of the Department of Agriculture was the U.S. Forest Service. And I can tell you that Kansas was not a state noted for its trees, at least in national forests. So I had to learn a lot in that business. But um, but it, but my background in Congress helped me a lot because Many of the decisions I had to make were issues that Congress had to deal with, specifically the Farm Bill and um, other related issues. And so, you know, while it wasn't natural for me because I was not a farmer, did not have a farm background, I had enough knowledge of our farm program, which was really critical. And I had good bipartisan relationships, which made a big difference. And the Agriculture Department is often viewed was often viewed as the most bipartisan of all departments, was less prone to political issues and divisions. So, you know, it was a great experience. I loved it. Yeah, I bet you when you uh, ventured out onto the farms and uh, talked with farmers and the people involved in agriculture, I bet you you were pretty well accepted, but you, you had to come across a, with a little humility with those kind of people because they, they're yeah, tough. You know, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, first of all, you the most important thing is to indicate what you don't know. So you don't start pontificating about things that you don't know anything about. And so, um, you know, I learned a lot and not only about, you know, I knew enough about Kansas agriculture products, livestock, wheat, corn, soybeans. But, you know, I didn't know much about specialty crops in, in the West or in or citrus in Florida or cotton or rice. And, you know, and I mean, this is a big, big uh, country of ours and agriculture is very large and very diverse. So I had to learn a lot during that time period. You're listening to Issues 2022 on the Odyssey radio stations, and our guest is former Kansas Congressman and U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Dan Glickman. Uh, before we go any further, let's, let's touch on uh, how did your sense of humor 
help you in your political career? Yeah. Um, well, the ability to make fun of myself. So I, I used to think I was one of the greatest singers of all time, and I used to sing a lot, and people would make fun of me. And a couple of times I had giant walkouts. People were there in crowds, and, and I would start to sing, and they would walk out, like making me realize that I wasn't uh, – you know, Elvis Presley or Frank Sinatra or, or, or even versions of the modern world. And then I had a lot of things. When I was in the Department of Agriculture, I was, turned out I was the most assaulted member of the cabinet. So I had people throwing infected buffalo guts at me, and I had naked protesters throwing, throwing genetically modified seeds at me, and I had infected buffalo guts thrown at me because of you know, I just people feel very, very strongly about food and agriculture products. And so I was able to kind of use that to make fun of myself. To I'll never forget, um, I spoke to a national nutrition summit once, and a woman came up and called me a pimp for the meat industry and threw a tofu cream pie at me. And I, I deftly ducked, and it hit Donna Shalala on the back. She was the Secretary of Health and Human Services, and Bob Dole was in the crowd. And I looked over at Dole, I said, Bob, I just don't think we're in Kansas any longer. And, you know, I mean, I had lots of those kinds of incidents happen. And, and you know, people kind of could identify with that. And self-deprecating humor is a really important part of politics. And, there, you know, I'm, I, I, I didn't advocate in the book that politicians should become comedians, but but humor that doesn't make fun of other people, that doesn't try to destroy somebody else, that doesn't make fun of their infirmities, it really does humanize a uh, situation and makes it easier to govern. Who were others in Congress in the White House with good humor? One or two that stand out in your mind? Well, Dole, Dole had great sense of humor, without question. His was, his was um, you know, uh, biting sometimes, but funny sometimes. Um, um, and uh, there was a senator named Alan Simpson from uh, Wyoming that had a great sense of humor, a congressman yeah. named Barney Frank from Massachusetts, who had a great sense of humor. Bill Clinton had a had a good sense of humor. Um, and it was able to soften all of their images. Uh, even when Clinton had all of his problems with Monica Lewinsky in, in the White House, people still liked him, by and large, because he had this good sense of humor and in the, in the way he looked and talked with people. Whereas, and, and this is not meant to be overly political, but Donald Trump had a very bad sense of humor. Most of his humor was at the expense of other people to make fun of them or to berate them. And and I think that that, to some extent, accounted for the divisiveness that the Trump administration left. What were your feelings during the January 6th attack on the Capitol? I was... Uh, frankly, mortified. You know, I've been in that building 50,000 times, taking you and constituents into that building. And, and uh, you know, our democracy is precious. And, you know, it, it reminded me of things that you might have seen in 1930s Europe and Germany, where people would stone or attack the institutions of government. And I, you know, I, I understood in a sense how it happened, but it was just, it was frightening. And also, I, I since that time, I've been amazed at how many people have uh, not felt that it was such a real serious attack on our democracy when it was. And, you know, it could happen again. I mean, I hope it doesn't. But uh, our institutions of government are clearly not as strong as we thought they were. Are there any lessons we can we should be taking from the January 6th thing? And did we learn anything, I wonder? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess we learned that it could happen here, that our Democracy is somewhat frail. I learned that there are a lot of great people um, on both sides of the aisle who 
don't want to see this happen to our institutions. People like Liz Cheney and and Adam Kinzinger and and, and others. Uh, I also learned that um, what's most disturbing to me is there are an awful lot of people in this country that uh, think that it was good to have that insurrection. That uh, that the president wasn't in any way responsible for it, President Trump. And 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 so that really disturbs me that principles of civility are not as great in our country as I would like them to be. And, and you know, one of the things I also learned is is that um, we, we don't have civic education is not a priority in America, where we try to teach young people about civics and their government and how to get things done and how to be responsible and how to build coalitions and how to collaborate. And I think to some extent, what we saw on January 6th was a result of years and years of a of, of, of an educational system, which has not produced uh, the best in, in our students. Did you enjoy your time at the movies? Um, well, I always love my time at the movies. Um, did I, uh, you know, and I love movies and, you know, I mean, we, I went to the movies way, you know, almost two or three times a week, even before I got to the motion picture association. Um, I would say that it was in some sense a tougher job than any of the others I had because I had to work for the these executives of film studios, uh, the, the movie moguls, and a lot of them were not as um, forgiving, let's say, of uh, of uh, you know what I did as a CEO than in Congress, where you have to build coalitions and and, and remembering that it costs almost a hundred million dollars to make and market a movie. And if the movie isn't successful, you know, in about one day. And so there are a lot of high stakes to this business. And so I loved going to the movies. The best part of the job was is that I got to be involved in the system that rated the movies. So PG, PG PG-13, R, that kind of thing. And, you know, I got to see it maybe at three, four hundred movies a year and look at them and go through that rating system. That was a lot of fun. And I got to meet a lot of interesting people. But um, but my son is now in that business. He's been a movie producer and. And and I think he really enjoys the business side of the business more than I did. It's interesting because I was just, I was, this, it was on the tip of my tongue, but I thought, I'm not going to ask him because over the weekend I noticed, uh, I I don't know what the film was, but Shelly and I were, were shouting over the weekend. We were watching a film and I saw the Glickman name as a producer and I've seen it a couple of times and I thought, I wonder if that's Dan's son or a, a relative. And it certainly is. Yeah. Well, there may be other Glickmans in the world in the bad business, but my son, John, has been um, very involved. He was president for a long time at the studio MGM, Metro Golden Mayor. And so he was very involved in this movie, Respect, with Jennifer Hudson, uh, about the Aretha Franklin story. He was involved with uh, uh, No Time to Die, the James Bond movies, the Rocky movies. And um, so he's he's produced 60 or 70 movies, and I'm real proud of him. But he's a real movie guy. He understands the business. He's He's in the creative side of this business. And I was more or less representing uh, Hollywood in Washington and, you know, dealing with the legislative challenges. The Respect is the movie that Shelley and I were watching. Uh, yeah, that's him. Yeah. He, he, yeah. You know, he uh, and he, he got to be very friendly with Jennifer Hudson. And, and he had a lot to do with that movie being made. So we're, we're rooting for it in the Academy Awards. Whatever, sure. whatever happens, happens. But, but of course, we're rooting it for him because of him, not necessarily because of the movie. Yeah. Now, are you officially in retirement now? Are you retired? No, I, I, I'm still uh, eclectic, doing a lot of things. So I'm, um, I, I'm involved with, I do not lobby, but I'm involved with several advocacy organizations involving 
agriculture and anti-hunger and um, uh, activities. And then I'm also on the board of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, which is the largest futures exchange in the world. So I, and I do a fair amount of public speaking as well. So I'm, I'm still engaged, but not working at one place. Well, here in Wichita, we're looking at uh, a plan right now, city and county, with regard to uh, hunger and apparently hung, you know, what do they call them, deserts or whatever for nutrition? Food, food deserts, food yeah, deserts, places yeah. Where, where there are not grocery stores or where, there are, where there's not places to get fresh fruits and vegetables. And yeah. one of the issues I'm working on, interestingly, is the relationship between a person's diet and their health. And we're finding even in, in the people who get covid that uh, the uh, symptoms are a lot worse and the outcomes are a lot worse than people who uh, have uh, uh, foodborne illnesses or health-related illnesses like di- uh, obesity or hypertension or heart-, heart disease and that kind of thing. And so one of the things I've been working on is to get um, uh, more fresh fruits and vegetables, fruits and vegetables in people's diets um, and uh, try to ex- explain this relationship between food and health so that more physicians and healthcare providers understand it. I, uh, my first year in broadcasting, they had a brand new baseball team in Wichita called the Arrows. We hadn't had affiliated baseball for many years since the Wichita Braves. And I'll tell you what, I was very excited. And, and thanks to your dad and his memory for doing that. That was something that Wichita really needed, I felt. Yeah, you know, in fact, my grandson is doing a report now at his school in Los Angeles on the Wichita Arrows. And uh, so my son found an Arrows jacket online on eBay. I think there's probably only one in the world, but he found one of those jackets that the Arrows had back in the 1970s or early 80s, and he bought it. I don't know how much it cost him. And then I sent it to my grandson because he's going to do a report on on the Wichita Arrows. But that was certainly a lot of fun. And uh, and my dad used to say every year, he said, thank you. He'd say that to my brother and my sister and myself. He says, thank you. And we'd say, what for? He says, thanks for giving me your inheritance to run this ball team. (laughs) Uh, you know, Another because joke. it was not it was not a money maker to say the least. But it it was a lot of fun. Of course, we were affiliated with the Chicago Cubs most of that time, and back then uh, the Cubs had the worst record in baseball. <laughs> right. Well, uh, so I I'm, I think this is probably not a very good question, but I, I think I'll wrap up with it. Are, are you optimistic, pessimistic about the future of our nation? Um, let's put it like this. Uh, I'm always an optimist because I think that the country is special. But I, I think we just, as a country, have to figure out how to way to resolve conflicts internally without killing each other. Uh, and to recognize, uh, Bob Dole once told me, and my mother did too, that you have two ears and one mouth for a simple reason. You're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. Listening is not an attribute that we give a great deal of attention to in this country anymore. Um, more and more people have operate with the philosophy, it's my way or the highway. You know, I'm right and you're wrong. And you know what? It just you can't have a democracy with that kind of thinking. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that it's a little naive to say, well, can't we just live together and love each other? But but we got to do a little more of that. And we got to figure out ways to do it. And whether it's a, a better educated population, whether it's a it's a, a political system that's uh, more sensitive to the real needs of the people. I'm not exactly sure. There's no one cure all for this but the one i put in my book is a little bit of self-deprecating humor will just make us relax as a nation a little more book is laughing at myself thank you so much for spending some time with us wish you appreciate it 
Thanks, uh, thanks, Steve. So our much. guest, former Kansas Congressman and U.S. Agriculture Secretary Dan Glickman. That's all for this edition of Issues 2022. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve McIntosh.